You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 4. It's been a while since we've had Application Sunday. I think it was back in June. And in looking back, I kind of expected to see that we had we would need to cover multiple chapters today. But we've been in chapter 4 all of July and August. So um, we'll be going back through what we've been learning in chapter 4. Hopefully jog your memory about some things that maybe you have forgotten. Um, and then look at some specific ways to apply what we've been learning as we depart chapter 4 and head back into, or head into chapter 5. I want to read for us this morning chapter 4, and I want to read through it uh, slowly, intentionally, because I want, hopefully, the Holy Spirit to remind you of things that we've been learning before we look at the notes, before we look at slides, but just to read back through this chapter and to be prompted and reminded by the Holy Spirit about things that we've learned Hopefully the text comes alive in in a way that maybe it wouldn't have previously before we've spent so much time studying it. So let's start in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There's been a lot of themes and ideas that we've seen throughout this chapter. I think in looking back over it as I was kind of organizing my thoughts to share with us once again today, it really, I really see the passage kind of breaking up into three sections. We started at the beginning talking about just the unity and the commonality that we share in our gospel faith and our gospel understanding, the doctrines and the teachings of Christ and salvation. Then we transitioned into seeing the diversity that we experience Uh, because of the ways that God has gifted us, gifted us uniquely and differently to serve the body of Christ. And when we're all serving with those gifts together, it it results in everybody growing up in their faith. And then we wrapped up this chapter over the last several weeks looking at what it means to live differently now than how we previously lived, Uh, both in big idea status of seeing ourselves no longer as Gentiles, but as recreated Uh, children of God. And then very specifically last week, we saw how it looks differently to live in just practical ways of how we handle uh, content, that we steer clear of falsehood, that we're committed to truth, that we deal with our anger differently than Gentiles do. Um, We talk differently, we act differently, we forgive differently. And um, important things for us to consider and remember as we cap out chapter 4 and and look towards chapter 5 to to be reminded of the unity and the diversity and the maturity that we're supposed to grow into and experience as believers. So I want us to look very intentionally as we walk back through this uh, with some of the main ideas that we saw over the last eight weeks, Um, and then I'm going to end today's sermon by giving you three specific things to remember from the past eight weeks and then three specific things to do Uh, as a point of application. So we looked at verses 1 through 3, and we really spent uh, two weeks looking at those three verses. Uh, And then that second, or that third week, we looked at verses 4 through 6. And so I want to kind of treat those three sermons as one as we kind of talk through some of those things. So let's look back at uh, verses 1 through 6 together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we focused heavily on those three weeks about the things that we share together, the ways that we are uh, common and unique together. So The first week we said in response to all that God has given to us, we are to live with the purpose of maintaining the unity he desires for us by seeking to demonstrate humility, gentleness, and patience in our interaction with other believers. Uh, In response to all that he's given to us, particularly in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we're to now live with the purpose of maintaining the unity that he's given to us um, by showing humility, gentleness, and patience. 
The second week we looked at these three verses, we said because we enjoy commonality with other believers in our calling, in our convictions, in our confidence, we're to pursue unity together by maintaining a common conduct in our interactions. So those three character traits we emphasized over those two weeks, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are ways that we're supposed to live, ways that we're supposed to interact with each other. We're to walk humbly for the sake of unity. We're to keep a healthy perspective about who we are in light of others. We're to value other people. We're to kind of see ourselves properly and appropriately. Um, We're to to not think too highly of ourselves. Uh, Gentleness. We're to speak gently with each other for the sake of unity, even as we maybe have to address certain things, uh, certain conflicts that arise with each other. We're to maintain a spirit of gentleness in the ways that we speak to each other, and then patience towards each other, Uh, being loving towards each other, being patient as we all grow up in our faith um, and learn to live out our faith. And so I challenged you that first week, uh, are you striving to be known for these character traits? And are you praying for the power to be changed where needed if you aren't, right? Like, it's not okay to just settle in and say, well, you know what, um, I'm, not, I'm not gentle or uh, I'm not patient. I don't, I don't have those character traits. To, to not be content to say that I just don't have these things, but to be intentional to pray that God would uh, bring those things into your life if they're not already present. Uh, to pray for increased humility and to realize that In order to become a patient person, God's going to give you certain situations that require patience to be demonstrated, that we grow in our ability to be patient by having situations where we need to exercise patience. And so we have to be prepared that when we pray for these things, that God's going to give us situations where uh, we would be tempted to be prideful and we have to demonstrate humility. Uh, Are you striving to be known for these things? He talks about the unity that we possess and, and why we should see unity as being something that's so important. And it's because of the unity that we share in the gospel, in salvation, uh, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, uh, the idea that there's one body and one spirit, uh, one hope uh, that we possess. And so the, the common calling, the convictions, the confidence, that hope that we have, the common conduct of humility, gentleness, and patience that if these things are working together, that we should have unity together. Uh, so my question for you week two was, are you maintaining unity, seeking unity when peace is not present with other believers? Are you being the instrument of peace, the instrument of unity amongst even our church family here? Uh, when we looked at verses four through six specifically, we said true believers should unite with other true believers on the grounds of our common acceptance and trust of the core elements of the gospel and our common relationship to Jesus as Lord and God as our Heavenly Father. We talked about what it meant to have that one body, one spirit, one hope, uh, that we have a same identity, that we're all part of the body of Christ, that we all have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and that we all have the same hope that Jesus Christ is coming back. Uh, We share the same testimony, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism. And even though our testimonies are different, in the sense that we were all saved at different ages, different times in life, different circumstances surrounding that salvation, uh, we were very much saved the same way. The Holy Spirit worked in our hearts, convicted us after hearing the gospel presentation, after hearing the word of God presented to us, and uh, we were convicted and we were changed and we put faith and trust in Christ, which is that one baptism. It's not talking about water baptism. It's not talking about immersion versus sprinkling. It's not talking about what age you got baptized at. Instead, it's talking about the fact that 
we, if we are saved, were baptized into Christ. We were immersed in Christ and his work, his righteousness, his forgiveness. He satisfied God's wrath for us. Um, And then we unite because we share the same heavenly father. He's a sovereign God who is not just the ruler and the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He's our father, a father who works good for us. And so those things are true for all of us here this morning. No matter where we were born, no matter uh, how we came about coming here, whether we were here from the very beginning of Sovereign Hope or whether we've only been here for the last few weeks, uh, we share this in common. And these are the most important things that we could ever share in common. It's this one hope, this one faith, this one body, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one sovereign Father. As I rattle these things off, though, I challenged you in week three, do you know these common doctrines well enough, these things that unite us to talk confidently about them? And if not, to really spend some time studying and learning about these things, because these things do unite us. And so when there's time of conflict and there's time of frustration, we need the Holy Spirit to be able to prompt us about the fact that, hey, we need to pursue reconciliation. We need to pursue forgiveness. We need to pursue loving each other patiently because we share these things in common. We're family. We're family as believers, and we should treat each other accordingly. Lots of reasons for unity that are stated here by Paul. Uh, Lots of reasons for us to strive to maintain that unity because we're saved in the same way. And now we're called to the same thing, to follow him until he returns. That brought us to verse 7, and I want us to kind of look at verses 7 through uh, 16 together because it's in those verses where he really begins to um, unpack the fact that while we are unified, we are diversified in the ways that we are gifted, in the ways that we serve each other. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Remember we talked about uh, Christ ascending back into heaven after he's accomplished this great victory, and the implication there is that he too descended to this earth. He came as a humble human being to, to, um, to earn salvation for us, and because salvation has been earned, he now distributes gifts to further carry out his will for this earth. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we started by looking at verse 7, very specifically. As Christians, we each have been given grace-based abilities to serve each other in the church as an outflowing of our experience with the Holy Spirit through the Word. Each of us has been given grace-based abilities to serve each other in the church as an outflowing of our experience with the Holy Spirit through the Word. So we have equal spiritual blessings. We saw that way back in Ephesians 1. All spiritual blessings have been given to all of us, right? 
the idea of justification and sanctification and atonement, God being the propitiation for our sins through Christ, uh, all these things are true about us. We all possess these things equally. Uh, there's not anybody in here who has some of their sins atoned for, right? We, we have all the same spiritual blessings, but we also have very different spiritual gifts. And it was that idea of each of us that we really honed in on in verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I challenged you to see that in the gospel, even though we are united as a church family, we are united as the body of Christ, we maintain our individuality, right? We maintain the fact that you are you, you are uniquely you, and God has gifted you in unique ways. And so we want to embrace that. But we also want to embrace the supernatural ability that comes to us through salvation, that we're gifted uh, in ways that become supernatural giftings, where the Holy Spirit works and moves in us um, to be used by Him, which means that nobody should feel inadequate here. Everybody has gifts and abilities that God has given to them, but none of us should feel superior either because it takes all of us working together to accomplish these purposes. And so I challenge you, are you looking for ways to serve others through your unique traits that make you who you are? Are you looking for ways to use who you are, and how God has gifted you to serve others. Verses 8 through 12 highlight the fact that as a result of Christ's victory over sin and death, each believer is now given gifts to help serve and grow others. And these gifts are used most effectively when they are informed and developed under the teaching of God's Word. This is where we talked about um, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are gifted individuals that, the God, that God gives to the church to inform us about our gifts, to equip us, verse 12 says, for the work of the ministry, to help us see how we can build others up in the body of Christ with those gifts. Um, And so we want to remember that our gifts are given to us intentionally, that God chose what he gave to us with purpose, uh, and that it also, these also were given to us and they need to be informed and developed and used these gifted teachers, these gifted shepherds uh, are needed to guide us and equip us in how, we, in how to use our gifts. Now, I challenged you, if we're not careful, we'll despise the gifts that we do have. We'll, we'll see no value in them, that there, there's no purpose in them. We'll covet the gifts of others. We'll wish that we had what other people had. Um, we'll neglect the things that God has given to us in hopes that we could use other types of gifts. Um, instead, what we want to see is that God has given these gifts to us intentionally. And we're to use them intentionally. I challenge you, am I seeking to build others up with my gifts after being intentional to listen and learn from God's word? In verses 13 through 16, we saw that spiritual maturity is attained within the church when her members pursue doctrinal unity through the teaching and application of the word and ministerial diversity through the exercising of various gifts with an attitude of love. Take note of the fact that in verses 13 through 16, there's this responsibility that we all have to grow up in our faith, right? It says that we're all to attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature hand, to manhood, that we don't want to be little children tossed about with uh, every wave of doctrine, every passing fad, every human cunning and deceitful scheme. We don't want to be subjected to giving into these things. Uh, we don't want to give in to being swayed by these things. So there's this individual responsibility that we all have to grow up in our faith, But don't miss the fact that in in this passage, what's also being alluded to is the only way that we can truly grow up in our faith 
to where we don't live like this and act like this and get influenced like this is if everybody's doing their job to serve each other and to equip each other and to encourage each other. This isn't where we embrace our individuality and think, oh, I'm supposed to do this by myself and I'm supposed to mature myself and grow up in my faith myself. No, like the the passage is also saying that for us to not be children anymore, for us to be mature men and women who aren't swayed by the things of this world, it requires all of us serving each other, all of us using our gifts, all of us encouraging one another. Now, I hope that what we're able to do here at Sovereign Hope is to give you opportunities to be with each other regularly where we can encourage one another through what we're learning in the Word. It's why we have our C groups and D groups structured the way that we do, so that we can study God's Word together. We can read and reflect and meditate upon God's Word together. And then we can assemble and come together and exhort one another with what God is teaching us through His Word, uh, to challenge each other to live in light of what we're seeing in His Word, to use our gifts to serve one another. He talks about growing up into Christ-like integrity, uh, to be like Christ, to um, attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We talked about being mature in our faith and also mature in the expression of our faith. We talked about the doctrinal stability needed. We need right teachers and right teaching. Um, that we're always to be changing, but we're to be changing towards conformity to Christ, not always changing towards whatever doctrine is circulating in mainstream Christianity at the time. Right teachers and right teaching. To grow up into truthful charity, where we're willing to share the truth with each other in love. It says in verse 15, instead of being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need people using their gifts. We need people being willing to serve each other to embrace what God has given to you. Remember we talked about um, playing your position well or being the type of tool that is useful for the purposes given to it. And, you know, the ways that we're used and the ways that we serve, that, that's going to look different, and there's going to be greater scales of use sometimes than others. Um, but every one of us is important. Every one of us has gifts that are needed. Uh, you using your gifts is important within this local body. And every time somebody joins our church, we get stronger in our ability to grow and mature in our faith because you've been added to the flock. You've been added to our body and your gifts are now present. Um, And so we want to be useful. We want to be used by God in the ways that he has gifted us uh, to impact others. Are you content with your current maturity? Are you still seeking to grow more in your faith? Are you using your gifts or neglecting them? These are questions that we wanted to ponder as we've wrapped up verses 7 through 16. We now look at the end of this chapter in verses 17 down through 20. We titled this the old way of doing things, the the ways that we used to live. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. 
Believers are called to live out their new identity in Christ in ways that are distinct from the lost world, different from their pre-Christian past, by submitting their minds to the Word and responding in obedience to what they learn. You'll remember we highlighted the fact that Gentiles live the way that they do for very specific reasons, right? Their minds are, are set on futile things. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the things of God. God has given them over to their passions, given them over to their desires. They are on that trajectory we see in Romans 1 where they've rejected their knowledge of God, and they're in a tailspin now of being uh, basically uh, cast away from God because they're pursuing other things. Um, and we're different if we're believers. We're different. We don't have calloused, hard hearts. Uh, we don't have uh, futile minds. We don't have darkened understanding. That's been changed. We saw that earlier in Ephesians. We've been enlightened by the Holy Spirit now. And so we're to live out our new identity in Christ in ways that are distinct from the lost world, uh, different from what we were like before Christ, and continually being different as we move forward uh, because we're being exposed to God's word and we're being challenged by God's word, convicted to live out in obedience to what we see in God's word. And so gave you a couple things to, to really be mindful of from these verses. One, to prepare your mind for action. Two, to really spend some time thinking about what do Gentiles look like? What do Gentiles look like? And how do I live differently than that? What does a Gentile look like at my school? Like if, if, if I'm thinking about as a, as a teenager who's in middle school or high school, what does it look like for somebody to live out their middle school years or their high school years separated from Christ? What, what would be the things that they talk about? What would be the things that they listen to? What would be the ways that they interact with one another? How would they treat each other? And the ways that we do those things should be drastically different. I have such a desire for the kids in our church as they grow up here to understand these truths, to apply these truths, and to look so different. Whether they go to Trinity, whether they go to public school, whether they're homeschool, all of our kids are going to have interaction with unbelievers. All of our kids are going to be interacting with Gentiles. Remember, I challenge you, we don't want to live differently so that we can be prideful that we're different, right? We live differently because we want to show Gentiles there's a different way of doing things. We want to draw them to Christ by showing them a different way. That I don't have to, I don't have to, we don't have to all live this way. We don't have to live for the passions of our desires. We don't have to live for the next big thing. We don't have to live for, for the next passing fad in hopes that it'll satisfy us, that we can live differently and, and we can be satisfied in Christ and we can prepare for his return. And so man, I have such a desire for our kids to see that, to understand that, to know what it's like to live differently than the Gentile world. And for us to be different, we have to prepare our minds for action by, by simply contemplating the fact that Gentiles look this way and I'm to look differently. I'm to not regress by going back to living ways that I used to live. And I'm also to keep pushing forward in changing the ways that I live right now, not being content to just live the way that I do currently. We see the difference between a Gentile and a believer, and then we submit our minds for change. We need to inform our hearts and minds through his word that change, real lasting change happens by our minds and hearts being changed by God's word, which means we have to be in his word, which means it starts by coming on a Sunday morning when you know somebody has done a lot of work to prepare and being intentional to listen being intentional to apply what you've heard, not just sitting and, and thinking, when, does this can be, when can this be over? When can this be done? When can I get back to, get back to what I want to do? 
to be intentional, to expose your mind to God's word, to be changed, to set your mind on obedience, to keep your heart soft, your responses quick to what you're being taught and convicted over? Are you actively thinking about how you need to be changed by the word and taking action to ensure it happens? It's why we do Application Sunday, because I don't want to just keep moving forward without giving you intentional time to pause and say, oh yeah, we learned about that. Oh yeah, we talked about that. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be doing that. My life is supposed to be different in light of what I've heard over the past several weeks. Believers are called to live out their new identity in Christ in ways that are distinctly different from the lost world. And then last week we looked at Ephesians 4, verses 21 through 32. It's crazy, we spent eight sermons in here, and and man, we really flew through the passage last week. We could have probably spent another three or four weeks in chapter four. It says we haven't learned Christ in such a way where it would allow us to keep living the ways that we used to live. It says, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's kind of the the big picture idea is that we're different. We don't live like Gentiles, we live like believers. Why? Because we've put off our old life. We've put off our old self. This is how we used to live. We're taught differently in Jesus. The gospel call, and, and again, this is assuming that you were given the correct gospel call. The gospel call was you were called to something different than your current life. You were called to live differently. You were called to live as you were created to live, to live in submission to Jesus Christ, to, to live in submission to God and his, his way of doing things. He, he's the creator of the universe, and he has given us clear instructions about how we're to live. Um, I was reading uh, an Instagram post from uh, Joshua Harris's wife, who's kind of gone off on her own deviation from the Christian faith. And, you know, she was basically saying, uh, she was basically teaching, is how I would call it, theology about uh, the human body. And that basically no other human has any right to tell a human being how to treat their body, that it's their body, they can do with it what they want to, they can, they can give it to whoever they want to, right? And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, this isn't the way you learned Christ, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what all is going on in her life, but to have been raised in church, to be raised under the gospel, to, to hear something so contrary to that theology, it's not your body, right? Christ created your body, And Christ gave you clear instructions about how you're to use your body. And it's for his glory and his honor, not for your passions, not for your desires, right? But the Gentile world thinks that way. The Gentile world says, I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want. And the Bible says something totally different for us. That we're to live differently. We're to keep our hearts soft and responsive and convicted, when convicted, to, to take action over those convictions to live differently. Why? Because we've put off our old self. We've put on the new self. And this new self, the gospel call was to leave your old life and come live the life that you were destined for. Come live the life that you were created for, right? The best life that you could possibly live. And it may not always feel like that in the here and now, but certainly when Christ returns and all things are made right, it will certainly feel like that for all time. Remember the gospel call that you were given. Remember how it changes us. 
Remember the call that it gave to us to be changed. And then he gives us those very practical, specific ways. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Man, to be so committed to truth that we would never deviate from it, even if it benefits us. We talked about this last week. It's going to be tempting at times to deviate from truth because it will benefit us. It will promote us. It will, it will lead to good things for us in our mind. And the Christian is to be so committed to truth that he will never deviate from it towards falsehood. To be angry and not sin, to not let the sun go down on our anger. We talked about dealing with our anger in a timely manner. Uh, to not give the enemy opportunity for more sin in our life. To attack the anger, to release the anger by forgiving those who have caused us that anger. It's radically different than the Gentile world. I was listening to um, a sermon that Rob was teaching on First Peter in First uh, Peter chapter 5. Um, it's the section that talks about casting your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. And I loved the statement that Rob made in his sermon. He said, don't lose sight of the fact that this passage is telling you what to do with your anxieties. It's not telling you that as a Christian, you should never have anxieties, right? Like it's assuming the fact that as a fallen uh, individual who is being readily changed into the image of Christ, we are going to have anxieties. There are going to be times where we are tempted to worry and there's clear instruction about what to do with those worries, right? Don't assume that you're not going to have these things. Instead, see what you're supposed to do with these things when you have them. And I think that same thing is true here. Don't assume that as a Christian, you're never going to be angry or never have conflict with other believers. We're going to. He spent so much time talking about how we're to pursue unity with each other. Because the assumption is we're not going to just happen into unity, right? Like we're not going to just ease into unity. It's not going to just be an automatic thing that happens when you come to Christ. We're going to have to pursue it. We're going to have to maintain it. We're going to have to fight for it, right? So he says, you're going to be angry as a Christian. Even the best Christians get angry. Even the best, most mature Christians have conflict with one another, and you need to deal with it. Before the sun goes down, you need to attack that anger and deal with it, because then there's other things that could happen that don't necessarily have to happen, that shouldn't necessarily be assumed. And that's the enemy coming in and having greater opportunity for sin in your life. He says, deal with your anger, your anger in a timely manner. He goes on to talk about honesty from the work side of things. Let, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And it would be easy for the passage to just end there. And it would be very Christian in its implications, Right? Christians don't steal. Christians do great work. Christians don't take from others. Christians take for themselves. Christians work very hard to, uh, to do their work with excellence. They earn their promotions. They earn their money the right way, and then they can do whatever they want to with it. And yet the passage doesn't end there. It goes further and says, not only should we no longer steal by taking from others, we should work so hard that we can, what, give to others so that we have something to share with anyone in need. It's a different way of living. It's a different way than living than the Gentiles. We're to work in such a way where we can be generous. Then we use our words differently. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think it's becoming more and more common for the language of professing believers to be inappropriate. I think the ways that we expose ourselves to uh, music and media, we, we, we get this language inputted into our minds, and we ignorantly think that that stuff's not going to come out in high-pressure situations. Um, I've seen over the years, even at Trinity, like the emphasis that we have to place on language in our school, it's different than it was 10 years ago even. It's far more common for a Christian to be corrupt in their talk. The topics that are talked about, the, the words that are used in those conversations, our, our, our conversations are to be different, right? The words that we use, the topics and the conversations that we have are to be such that they build others up. They give grace to those who hear. They advance their faith, right? We talked about using your words to advance the faith of others last week. No unhealthy speech, edifying words only. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by being against him, by working against him through your words. Instead, partner with him in the words that you choose to use. And then lastly, we saw let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, let all that be put away. All these... um, uh, resentful type attitudes should be put away. We should treat each other with kindness and forgiveness. Why? Because this is how God treats us. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I challenged you, is there truth that you need to fix, ways that you've been dishonest and you need to correct that with somebody? Is there anger that needs to be reconciled in your life? Is there stealing that you have been a part of, whether it was taking physical objects or even taking credit for other people's work, is there stealing that needs to be rectified in your life? Are there words that you have spoken that need to be respoken, that need to be fixed because you haven't been edifying others and building others up and said you've been tearing them down? I want to give you three things to remember and then three things to do. Three things to remember from everything that we've talked about over the past eight weeks. Number one, there are gospel callings that must unite us and gospel giftings that must diversify us so that gospel maturity happens in each of us. Hopefully you've heard that ring true even in the recap of what we've seen over the past eight weeks today. There are gospel callings, doctrines, hopes, um, things that, that unite us and have to unite us if we're believers. Right? The ways that we came to Christ, what we're to be doing now that we follow Christ, what we anticipate and wait upon with Christ's return. These gospel callings unite us. But then the gospel giftings that come to us by the way of the Holy Spirit, they diversify us. They make us different. So we're unified in our differences. And when we embrace both of these things, when we unify over the things that we have in common, when we utilize the differences that we have to serve each other, then gospel maturity happens in each of us. It's not just your job to grow up individually into faith in Christ. You're to certainly do that, but you're to use your giftings to help others grow as well. Number two, there are expectations on how you should no longer live and expectations on how you should now live because you are a believer. Right? No easy believism here where we just believe in Jesus and then we go back to our normal way of doing things. The normal way of doing things is not how we do things anymore. There's expectations clearly in Scripture about how we no longer live and how we should live because we are a believer. 
And then number three, there is to be peaceful unity with those who understand these things above and intentional patience and effort with those who do not. Right? That's also what Paul's trying to get, get us to see is that for those that understand that the gospel call unites us, that the gospel giftings are ways that we grow and mature together, there's ways that we're supposed to live and ways we're not supposed to live. For people who get that, who see that, who understand that, I mean, those are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we, we unify with them. And when there's disagreements and conflict, we fix it. We're not content to just lose it. We go fix that unity. And then when there's people who aren't seeing some of these things clearly, we're to be intentionally patient and show intentional effort to go get them. Intentional patience and effort. Remember, we started the whole thing by looking at verses 1 through 3 where humility, gentleness, and patience are supposed to be what characterizes us. So we're seeking unity constantly. We're seeking to serve each other constantly so that we all grow up together in what it means to live no longer like the Gentiles, but to live like believers. We should have peaceful unity with people who understand this. And then we should be intentionally patient And then we should show great effort to help those who do not. These are things to remember from chapter 4. What are we supposed to do then in response to chapter 4? Number one, we saw a lot about the fact that we are supposed to submit our minds to God's word to be changed. So number one, have an intentional plan for being in the word and applying what you learn in a way that spills over into the lives of others by how you serve them with your unique giftings. Have an intentional plan for being in the Word and applying what you learn in a way that spills over into the lives of others by how you serve them with your unique giftings. So to simplify that, you've got to be in the Word, learning about who He is and what He desires for you. Then you've got to apply those things And the application doesn't just stop with you growing in your faith. It's to spill over into the lives of others as you use your giftings to encourage others, right? So we don't just give you a D group passage and say, hey, go study 1 Peter chapter 1 and grow in your faith. We say, go study chapter 1 and then come together and share what you've been learning, encourage one another, edify one another, build each other up with the fruit of your study. Right? It should spill over into the lives of others. But it starts with having an intentional plan. Think about how we all have such intentional plans with so many other aspects of our life and how so many of us still don't have an intentional plan about being in God's Word. For some of you, I know what you do on a Sunday when we, relieve, when we, when we get done here. Some of you, I know you've, you're going home, you've got a crockpot meal every week. That's your plan. Others of you, I know you're heading to the Mexican restaurant, right? Like there's intentional planning that we have. I've told you before, July 4th, you don't even have to ask. You can show up at Peachtree City Lake and you know that I'll be there for the fireworks. That's an intentional plan that our family has, right? I told you, I know when the Conaways go on vacation every summer, they go during dead week when there is no football, right? There's intentional planning that we do with our families in so many areas of our life. And yet this is the one area that most of us just kind of let it stay fluid, where I read, I study, I try to spend time with God when I've got time or when it works for my schedule, but sometimes that's not the case, right? If we want to be serious about growing up and maturing in our faith, we have to have an intentional plan for being in the Word and applying the Word. Number two, identify the ways you are still Gentile-like and settle for nothing less than the opposite moving forward. 
Spend some time identifying the ways that you are still Gentile-like. Ways that you're not humble, ways that you're not gentle, ways that you're not patient, sometimes ways that you're not truthful, ways that you're not always honest, ways that you don't always deal with your anger. Identify those ways that that you would say, you know what, I'm still very Gentile-like in the ways that I live, and be settling for nothing less than the opposite of that moving forward. And spend time in God's Word. Pray for His supernatural change in your life to where you move away from that type of lifestyle. And then number three, I don't know why it says four. Number three, be faithful to unite with others based on our common faith and encourage others towards maturity based on our common call. And I want you to see other people through, the, through one of two lenses. One, that, that if you're not unified with other believers, that, that that's the thing that you've got to do. You've got to unify with other believers. When there's conflict that needs to be resolved, you have a responsibility to resolve it. Be faithful to unite with others. Why? Because we have a common faith. But if you're in unity with other believers, see other people through the lens of the fact that you're supposed to encourage them towards maturity. You're supposed to use your gifts to encourage them towards maturity. Why? Because we have the same common call. That we're to use the giftings that God has given us so that we all mature. We all mature. We all grow up as the body of Christ. We're going to close today, as we always do with our application Sundays, by partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's another great week to be able to do this simply because by partaking of the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is that we do have commonality here. We have commonality in the fact that even though we are so different and we come from all walks of life and we will go all different directions when we leave today, we share the most common, important things together, and that's that we have put our faith and trust in the work of Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, which is represented in the Lord's Supper, um, that he came to be perfect for us. He came to uh, achieve righteousness for us. Um, he, he died in our place. He satisfied the wrath of God. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And he raised to walk. He raised to live and to rule and to reign at the throne of God, and we await his return. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Somebody might ask you, why do you, why do you partake of the Lord's Supper? Why do you do this? Why, why, do we, why do we take the bread? Why do we take the juice? Why do we do this? Does it earn our salvation? No, absolutely not. If you're a believer, you're already saved. This doesn't, this doesn't save you. It also doesn't keep you saved. We don't do this to, to reclaim our salvation or to enhance our salvation or to improve upon our salvation. Jesus is very clear in this passage why we partake of the Lord's Supper. We do this to remember him. We do this to remember him because we're prone to forget. We're prone to get busy with our lives and to lose sight of the gospel and to lose sight of what's been done for us, to lose sight of what we've been called to. And we're called to wait for him to come back, that he is coming. And so we're going to partake again today in an act of unity because we have all submitted ourselves to the same Jesus and the Holy Spirit did the same work in us and that was to convict us of our sin and to draw us to faith in him. And we're going to partake by taking the bread as a sign that we have yielded ourselves to his perfection and we've 
uh, said that our good works aren't good enough. We're going to drink the cup and drink the juice saying that, that Jesus has died in our place, that he has forgiven us of our sins, not our own efforts, not our own good works. Um, and we're going to do it to remember him. And we're going to keep doing it until he comes back. And we're going to do it with the anticipation that he is coming back. And we're going to pray again for that today, that he would come and that he would come soon um, and usher us into eternity with him. I'm going to pray for us, and then you're going to have time to reflect and to pray on your own. Um, we've got the elements in the back. If you didn't pick them up on the way in, they're right outside. I uh, encourage you to partake as the Lord leads. And then as Tyson comes, he'll lead us in a closing song as well. Lord, we love you, and we thank you and praise you for um, just the opportunity to repause and reflect upon your word today, to remember what you've been teaching us with the intent of hopefully applying what you've been teaching us as well. God, we thank you for the, the bread and the cup this morning and what they represent. Um, God, we're thankful that we don't have to worry about our efforts and our good works earning our way to heaven, earning our favor with you. We can rejoice and celebrate the fact that Jesus came and did all of that for us. His life, his death, his resurrection have satisfied all your demands. We praise you and thank you for that today. Thank you for uniting us in that commonality of the gospel the one faith, the one body, the one baptism, the one hope. God, we're thankful that we are one and the same today because we're followers of you. But God, help us to see that in our unity, you have given us great diversity with different giftings and abilities to serve each other. God, help us to, help us to serve each other well as we wait for you to come back. Help us to love each other well. Help us to be patient with each other well. Help us to edify and encourage one another well so that we can all grow and achieve maturity in our faith. God, help us to be encouraged together today as we partake of the Lord's Supper, to see that we're not the only ones individually trying to follow you, but that we're surrounded by a host of believers who love you and want to serve you well. Continue to mature us, continue to grow us. God, I pray that we'd all see that we have a role to play in that goal. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.